2 Corinthians. There is something the Lord has really been turning on my heart. And uh, I pray that he would talk with us. We might read quite a bit of scripture. I'm going to try to move fast. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. And then we're just going to go from that right into chapter 4, okay? When chapter 3 ends, we're just going to keep going so you know where I'm at. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, everybody say we all. We all, with an open face, beholding as in a glass or a mirror, the glory of the Lord. Watch. We are changed into the same image. From glory to glory. There's a progression that should take place. There should be a spiritual maturing that's taking place. Where the Spirit of the Lord is. Right? The Lord is that Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we're all looking at this mirror and we should behold the glory of the Lord. And we should be changed into the same image. And that's from glory to glory. This progression that's taking place because of the Spirit of the Lord that's operating in our lives. Even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Verse 1. Therefore, see, this is why we had to read those two verses. Otherwise, therefore, doesn't make like, therefore, what? Therefore, seeing we have this ministry. I want you to say this with me. I have this ministry. Say it again. Now say we. We have this. There is an individual and a collective ministry to those filled with the Spirit of God who have beheld the glory of God And this ministry, this work of the Spirit, individually and collectively, is progressive from glory to glory. And it would probably be more like this, from glory to glory to glory till we get to glory. Until we're fully changed into His image. Praise God, what a day that would be. Amen? And so, so we have a ministry. This isn't just so we can go... Oh, man, I'm progressing from glory to glory. No, therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. Watch. So there's a result of this. But we have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth that's through our lives, By manifestation of the truth, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. This is what the work of the Spirit does in us when we're progressing and maturing from glory to glory. The Spirit of God causes us. We begin renouncing some things. We begin walking in things different than what we we stop walking in some things we used to walk in. This this is the result of the, the Spirit, where the Spirit of the Lord is. And us being changed into His image and seeing this effect and progressing from glory to glory, this, this is the result. And because of this, what happens is there becomes a manifestation of truth through our lives. 
people witness this in us. And there's this manifestation of the truth that commends ourselves to other men and women in their conscience in the sight of God. Now watch, verse 3. But if our gospel be hid, it's hid to them that are lost. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Now I want you to pause right there because we've quoted that verse a lot. Talking about the blindness of this world, right? The blindness. Now, But the reason we read those other verses preceding this is we need context. Context. Paul's talking about where the Spirit of the Lord is. Paul's talking about being changed from glory to glory. He's talking about how we walk now. And what we've done away with. And how we're living now. And how it's being commended in the sight of other men. And then he talks about the gospel being hid. You got it? And they're blind to the gospel. Because of the God of this world. He's blinded their minds. Because the light of the glory, glory, glorious gospel. You see that? I want you to catch that word. Lest the light of the glorious, same root word as glory. I know this is basic, but we need to, I'm believing the Lord to bring revelation to us. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine to them. Got it? Leave that verse there for me just a second longer. Now, some of you are already connected, but we just can't risk missing this. Verse 18 of chapter 3. We all, with an open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord. Who? Beholding as in a mirror. The glory of the Lord. We are changed into the same image. Is that what he said? Verse 17. We are changed into the same image from glory to glory. Now when we look at verse 4, full context. God of this world has blinded them. Lest when they look at Brother Abel and Sister Yesenia, they would see the glorious gospel of Christ. Because we all, with open face, looking in a mirror, see the image. And we're changed into the same image from glory to glory. The glorious gospel that they're supposed to see and hear is you and I. They don't see it if we still walk in craftiness and dishonesty. This is why there's this changing that takes place. And the truth is commended to them in their conscience. Does this make sense now? I know some of you already got all this, but we need to see and understand how God's wanting to use us 
The God of this world's tried to blind them so that when they see a child of God, they just, here's what you'll hear. It's just something different about you. I just don't know what it is. You ever heard that? I don't know why when I talk to you, I, and it just seems like sometimes your face is just glowing. With, they're blinded by the God of this world. They can't quite put the, I'll tell you what it is. It's not you and I. It's the image of God. It's the light of the glorious gospel of Christ trying to shine through. Why? Because where the spirit of the Lord is. When you were filled with the Holy Ghost, it became, you became, I became, where the Spirit of the Lord is. You were baptized with the Holy Spirit. You became the temple where He dwells. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? You become the dwelling place for the Spirit of the Lord. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And there's a transformation that takes place where we go from glory to glory. And we go from who we were to who He is. And we're changed into His image. It's not full and complete in a moment. But we see a reflection. And we desire. And so therefore, He begins to work in us. And we go from glory to glory. And we become a manifestation of truth. That's what Paul said in 4 and 2. By manifestation of the truth, we are that manifestation of the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. We are the body of Jesus Christ. Filled with the indwelling Spirit of God, we become the manifestation of the truth. See, we've made all this about telling people stuff. Which is part of it. We have to open our mouth and speak. But we need to know who we are. All right. So when we're praying. So we're getting ready to move. You guys think we're stuck on verse 4. Yes, I'm sorry. No, I'm not. But we're going to move. But watch. When we're praying that God would remove spiritual blindness. Now, I'm getting some revelation here tonight. I've prayed that and said, man, I hope they'll see the message. Well, that's okay. We should pray that. But you know what you should be praying? Be praying. God, let them see the message through this vessel. Let them see the message. We don't need to write letters again commending ourselves to ourselves. But you are living letters known and read of all men. You are living epistles or letters, Paul said, known and read of all men. So what happens? I was having this conversation with Bazzario last uh, Sunday, I think. I lose track somewhere along the way. But we are living letters. What are they reading? Well, they're reading whatever I'm putting out there. They're reading on the job. They're reading in the market. They're reading in the park. They're reading at the gas pump, the convenience store, the coffee shop. They're reading living letters, living letters, living letters, living letters, known and read of a few men. It's not what the scripture says. Known and read of all men. They're reading. So we pray God remove spiritual blindness 
and let the light of the glorious gospel shine. Glory to glory, glorious gospel. Yeah, you're making that connection. Just in case you need more proof, let's read a little further. Verse 5. For we preach not ourselves. Why would he even say that? Because he's drawing the connection for them that this is the people of God. But he's making sure they understand we're not preaching ourselves. We're preaching Christ Jesus the Lord. They're not looking at us. They're seeing his image that we talked about in 3 and 17. We don't preach ourselves. We preach Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. Ourselves, servants to them, for Jesus' sake. Next verse. For God. Now he goes all the way back to the beginning to draw a parallel for us. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness. Here's another connection. He shined. Where did he shine? He shined in our hearts. Why? To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Are you seeing what Paul is declaring to the church and who we are? He, the Lord of all creation, who manifests himself in the flesh... He ascended back to his throne, but sent his spirit back to dwell in us. He calls the light. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the light. John 1, in, in John chapter 1, he said, he's the light that lighteth every man that entereth into the world. And so he calls the light to shine out of darkness into our hearts. Why? So we could go, this little light of mine, I'm going to let, yeah. That's exactly why. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. What does that mean? It means it's going to shine and it's going to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. What is he saying? Well, we know we're going from glory to glory. Again, tying back to verse 17, we're changed into the same image from glory to glory. And the light of God has shined into our hearts to give light of knowledge of the glory of God. We're that letter. But notice whose face it is. Notice whose face it is. There's a law of attraction. I've talked with my kids more in recent years as they've gotten older about marriage. And the question has come up along the way. Does there have to be attraction? For which they answered the question themselves. Yes, there must be attraction. Yes. And when we're attracted... To one another, as human beings, one of the first things we look at is someone's face. Okay? When the light of God, the knowledge of the glory of God shines through us, it's important to understand what they need to see is the face of Jesus Christ. 
why Paul said, we don't preach ourselves. All right. Verse seven. I told you I was going to try to hurry, but I'm not doing a good job of that. Verse seven. But we everybody say we. We have this treasure. Who has it? Who has it? We do. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. That why? That the excellency of the power of God. Or the excellency of power may be of God, not of us. It's the treasure, not the vessel. Verse 8, we're troubled on every side, not distressed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We're cast down, but we're not destroyed. I've heard taught, probably the best teaching I've ever heard on those verses is we, the vessel, are troubled on every side. But the treasure in us is not distressed. We, the vessel, are perplexed, but the vessel or the vessel's perplexed, but the treasure is not in despair. The vessel's persecuted. But the treasure is not forsaken. The vessels cast down, but the treasure is not destroyed. This treasure in earthen vessels. Verse 10, I want you to notice verse. All of that was to get to verse 10. Always. Say that word with me. Always. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. Now, if it stopped there, that feels sad. But there's a reason. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. Now, did you just tie all that together? face of Jesus Christ but we bear about the dying of the Lord Jesus in our body for the purpose that the life of Jesus would be made manifest in our body and when his life is made manifest through our body it's the light shining into it's removing spiritual blindness it's the gospel being revealed the light shining through our body and they don't see us they see the face of Jesus Christ This is what it is to be shaped and formed and fashioned in his image to go from glory to glory. The purpose is to be a light and the body to the world. This is God's plan when he fills you and I with his spirit. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. We quote that verse a lot. Out of context. Guilty. Like there's liberty. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. Well, that fits. But what's really being expressed here by the Apostle Paul when we read it in the fullness of context is that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is a liberty for the spirit of the Lord to minister and manifest itself. Doesn't mean I got all kinds of liberty to do what I want. It means where the spirit of the Lord is, The Spirit of the Lord should operate and have liberty to minister and manifest Himself the way He chooses. Anybody want that? 
Verse 10 is the how. See, Paul didn't start with verse 10 because some people would have bailed out. He had to show them all the results and then say, here's how. We always bear about in our body the dying of the Lord Jesus. I'm ever dying to my own will. I'm ever dying to my own way. I'm ever, this is what he meant in 1 Corinthians 15 when he talked about the death, burial, and the resurrection being the gospel of Christ. And he said, it saves you if you keep it in memory. Always bearing about. It's, this, it's the Apostle Paul saying, I die daily. It's the Apostle Paul saying, Galatians 2 and 20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Always bearing about in my body the dying of the Lord Jesus. Oh, now, if you just read that part of the verse, it sounds so like such a drudgery. Oh, I'm just a child of God that's always bearing about dying. And that's where the adversary and your flesh, the flesh is your adversary, by the way. That's where your flesh and my flesh wants us to live. The drudgery of the dying, bearing about the dying of the Lord Jesus. Well, you know, he only died once, but he lived eternally. He lives eternally. Now, you and I, we have to die daily until we, like him, are caught up in the air. He only had to die once because he was caught up in the air a few days later. Right? You and I have to keep this. We always bear about. But the reason we bear about the dying, we keep dying to ourselves, denying ourselves. Allowing crucifixion to take place in our life so that our body is dead. Mortify the deeds of the body by the Spirit, the Scripture says. We do this for the sole purpose of all this stuff we just read. And we do this so that the life of Jesus would be made manifest in our body. I want the life of Jesus to be made manifest. Hear me. Please hear me. Hear the word of the Lord. Life of Jesus cannot be made manifest through our life. If we circumvent the cross. Because the life of Jesus being made manifest is the resurrection of Christ in us. And there is no resurrection without the cross. And we live in a world today of Christendom that says, give me Jesus without the cross. Let me avoid the dying. Let me avoid the loss of stuff. Let me avoid the loss of my lifestyle. Let me avoid the loss of things. But let me have Jesus. It does not work that way. There is no proof and manifestation of resurrection without the cross. And this is what Paul is declaring. The gospel is hid to them that are lost because the God of the world has blinded them. But if we will allow the glory of God to manifest itself, and the way it starts is you and I always bearing about in our body the dying of the Lord Jesus. But dying is temporary. The manifestation of His glory can be eternal through us. I just got to tell you, I, I was going to take a little longer to get here because I didn't want you to quit listening, but here we are. And the way the Lord's dealing with me, you may hear this a lot for a bit. 
So don't stop coming. I can't get away from the cross lately. I find myself back at the cross again. And again. And again. We used to sing a song when I was young that said, Jesus, keep me near the cross. Near the cross, near the cross, be thy glory ever. Till my raptured soul shall find rest beyond the grave. I'm not living for this life. I'm living for eternal life. The glory of God cannot be made manifest through our lives if we circumvent the cross. Unless I'm willing to die, the glory of God will not be made manifest through my life. Verse 11. Give you hope. For we which live are always delivered unto death. Just in case you weren't, in case you thought maybe the Apostle Paul was done with that thought. He was trying to make it clear. We which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake. But notice again, there's a reason that the life of Jesus might be made manifest. This scripture boggles my mind. That the life of Jesus would be made manifest in our mortal flesh. He didn't say the life of Jesus would be made manifest in our spirit or our soul. He said the life of Jesus would be made manifest in our mortal flesh. That's supernatural. The only way that happens is dying. We which live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake. You cannot have the glory of God operating through your life. I cannot have the glory of God flowing through my life manifested to a lost world if I'm not willing to get on the cross. That's why he said, take up your cross and follow me. We have the knowledge and I pray the understanding that the cross was not the end. But you can't take it out of the equation. You got to go the way of the cross. Every life that would be mightily used of God, that would have the glory of God manifest itself, has to go the cross. This is why circumstances come into your life that seem to just be breaking you down. It's the cross. This is why God doesn't deliver you from every circumstance that brings you pain and hurt. It's the cross. This is why God doesn't fix every problem that you'd like him to just correct. It's the cross. This is why he brings people into your life that you'd like to just choke out. I know you wouldn't just say that, but I know how some of you think. I just thought I'd get right where some of you live. Right? That shocked some of you, but you're listening now. He brings those people into your life 
Because somebody's got to nail you and I to the cross. Jesus couldn't nail himself to the cross, and you and I can't nail ourselves to the cross. It took Roman soldiers, heathens, to do it. And so he will bring Roman soldiers into your life that will mock you, that will scourge you, that will laugh at you, that may slap you and spit in your face metaphorically or maybe even literally. And their purpose is God-ordained to nail you to the cross. It's the love of God that put him there. And it's the love of God that will put you and I there. And it may be painful. It is painful. But it's something on the other side of the cross. There's something beyond the suffering. There's something beyond the loss. There is a revealed manifestation of the glory of God to a world that is lost. And it comes through a body that would say, I'll lay down my life. So they'll see. But they won't see me. They'll see Him. And the manifest body of Christ in a supernatural, miraculous thing will be made manifest through mortal flesh. It won't happen without the cross. And for the life that will submit, the cross will come to every area of your life. It will come to your finances in some way, shape, or form. It will come to your family in some way, shape, or form. It will come through your job. It will come through relationships. It will come in your health. It, 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 you understand, I'm not prophesying doom and gloom here. We want the power of the resurrection. Amen? But you can't go without the cross. That old song we sang. On a hill. Far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. Some of y'all don't know that song. I wish you did. And the course says, so I'll cherish the old rugged cross. Till my trophies at last I lay down. And I will cling to the old rugged cross. And exchange it someday for a crown. It was the old rugged cross. Stained with blood so divine. A wondrous beauty I see. For twas on that old cross. Jesus suffered and died. To pardon and sanctify me. So I'll cherish 
give us a love for the cross. Give us a love for the cross. Where I've resisted the cross, give me a love for it again. Restore in me a love for the cross. God, let me trade comfort and ease for the cross because there's something on the other side. There's something on the other side of the cross. In Jesus' name, we have to continue. Verse 12. So then, death worketh in us, but life in you. Now, flip with me over quickly to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians 3, verse 3 and 4. I'm going to jump and read fast. Philippians 3, verse 3 says this. For we, everybody say we. We are the circumcision spiritually, which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Only way that happens is if you're crucified. No confidence in the flesh. Paul said, verse 4, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof, he might trust in the flesh, I more. And then Paul begins to give all the things he's accomplished in his flesh. His training, his knowledge, his upbringing, his heritage. Says all this stuff he did and went through. Verse 7, for sake of time. Then he says, but what things were gained to me? Things that were personal gain. Things that I to be gained, things that I thought made me look good, things that were gained for me. I counted those loss for Christ. What's he saying? Anything that made me have confidence in me became loss for Christ. All of my learning, all of my upbringing, all of my heritage, because it caused me to trust in my flesh, it wasn't really gain for me. It was loss for Christ. So what did he do about that? Verse 8. Yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss. Or I'm willing to lose all things. For one thing, the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. Here's what he said in plain English. I'm willing to lose everything. For the thing that excels every other thing. That is knowing Jesus Christ. My Lord. Watch. And then he says, I'm not just talking theoretically. He now shares experientially. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And I'm still hurting from losing all that stuff. Not what he said, is it? I've suffered the loss of all things. And I count them but dung. They didn't, I realized how little value they had. No value. So I can win Christ. 
Verse 9. I really want to talk about this, but time is getting away from us. That I may win Christ and be found in Him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Why? That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings, being made conformable unto His death. There it is again. Being made conformable to His death. Why? Verse 11, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Hear the word of the Lord. You and I will never attain resurrection from the dead if we're not conformed first to His death. There must come a cross before there's a resurrection. You can feel Jesus. Jesus can touch you. You can feel his presence. You can love Jesus. But there is no resurrection if we're not made conformable to his death. We must go the way of the cross. I can't help but think of Jesus' earthly ministry when he was speaking at one time and he began to speak of his body and his blood. He said, except you eat of my body and drink of my blood, you cannot be my disciple. He was speaking of the death he would die. He was speaking concerning, signifying the death by which he would die. And we find an interesting statement after that. It says, after this saying, many who followed him went away. Why? Jesus, when you were doing miracles, I was with you. Jesus, when you were feeding 5,000 bread, loaves, that was awesome. I was with you, Lord. When you were gathering crowds and you'd speak, and man, I'd feel the presence and the power of God. I was with you. Now you're talking about dying. I think that's where I got to draw the line. And after that time, many went away. And Jesus turned to his disciples. And he said to his disciples, he asked them a question. Will you go away also? It's a question we all have to answer when we're faced with the cross. I love what Peter said. This is one of the times Peter got it right. He asked a beautiful question in response. Lord, where will we go? Where will we go? Because watch. You have the words of eternal life. I can follow you and lose my life because you have the words of eternal life. Where would we go, Lord? There's something in my spirit that wants to be able to say, Lord, where would I go? I'll take the cross. You've got the words of eternal life. Can you go with me just a little bit further tonight? I don't even know what verse I'm on. 
11. Okay, let's skip down for time's sake to verse 17. Listen to what Paul says. Now, you understand what he just said about his own life. He lost everything, and he didn't even count it dung. Now, verse 17. Brethren, be followers together of me. Watch. And mark them which walk so as you have us for an example or an example. Remember what, he, what we read in Corinthians where he talked about no longer walking in craftiness or dishonesty. They changed the way they walked. Remember that? We read that. He's talking again about walking. Verse 18, watch what he says. For many walk. Everybody say many. Many walk of whom I have told you often. This apparently was significant to him. He didn't just tell them once. We only see it in the letter once. But he says, I've told you often. Many walk of whom I've told you often. And I now tell you even weeping, he said. Watch what he said. They are enemies of the cross. They don't just refuse the cross for themselves. They oppose the cross. The way they walk makes them an enemy of the cross. And he began, notice there's a colon there in verse 19. He spells out the indicators that they're an enemy of the cross. And this is why he was weeping. He wasn't just weeping because they were an enemy of the cross. He was weeping because their end is destruction. He who seeks to save his life will lose it. But he who loses his life for my sake will find it. But there are those that are enemies of the cross. Their end is destruction. Why? Their God is their belly. If you look at that phrase... He's saying their God is whatever their appetite is. They feed themselves whatever they want. That's their God. I find it funny. I've probably fallen in the trap a few times. I find it funny that we now have people called foodies. Maybe some of you are one of those. I'm not condemning you. I'm just simply giving you some context. Whose God is their belly? That's one thing, their appetite, ever feeding their appetite. Physically, mentally, emotionally, all their ways. And whose glory is in their shame. Consider that. They take glory in those things that would bring shame to the body. And here's the third thing. Who mind earthly things. Is Paul saying we shouldn't even mind? I mean, am I not supposed to be concerned with whether my car's oil gets changed? I mean, 
Am I supposed to pay attention to whether I need gas or not? Am, I mean, like, should we just all quit our jobs and see what the Lord does and quit? No. When he says who mind earthly things, he speaks of what fills our mind and what has priority in our mind. I fill my gas tank because I need to get places. But I'm not losing sleep because gas is five twenty a gallon. I don't like it. I'm being a little more conscientious about some things when I'm traveling. And jump. But I'm not going to mind earthly things. Okay? He said those things were enemies of the cross. Verse 20, for our conversation... Our lifestyle is what that word means. For our lifestyle is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Stand with me as you turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And verse 21. 1 Corinthians 1 and 21. Watch. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world, by wisdom, knew not God. Remember what Paul said about, I just want to know Him. In the wisdom of God, the world, by their wisdom, not God's wisdom, by the world's wisdom, didn't know God. It pleased God. By the foolishness of preaching, to save them that believe. Not to save the lost through the foolishness of preaching, them that believe. Okay? That's a different subject for a different time, why that is that way. Verse 22. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks or the Gentiles, that's us, seek after wisdom. Earthly wisdom, earthly knowledge. Verse 23, watch what Paul said. But we preach Christ crucified. Can I say it this way? We preach the cross. We preach the cross. We preach the cross. We preach the cross. He chose the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. We preach the cross. We preach Christ crucified to the Jews because they're learned and they're spiritual and they're religious and they, it's a stumbling block to them because why would a king go such a lowly way of death? Why would the king of glory, the Messiah, allow himself to go such a cruel way, a way of mockery, stripped of his clothing, embarrassed and humiliated? It's a stumbling block for the Jews. Our Savior would never be crucified. And to the Greeks, it's foolishness. Gentiles, well, that's foolish. If somebody was going to save the world, why would they die to save the world? How does suffering and dying bring any glory? How does suffering and dying cause power? It's foolishness to worldly wisdom. But watch verse 24. But unto them which are called. 
I believe I'm called. I believe you're called. Now, to the Jews, it's a stumbling block. To the Gentiles, it's foolishness. But to them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, that message of Christ crucified, the message of the cross, it's Christ. It's the power of God, and it's the wisdom of God. You want the power of God in your life? You want the wisdom of God in your life? The cross. The cross is the power. The cross is the wisdom. Want the power of God to flow and operate. Got to get on the cross. Got to die. It's going to be painful in some areas. Some of the very things God's trying to bring us to an end of ourselves, we're fighting and kicking and screaming. And why is this happening to me? I'm not mocking you. I'm just I I I'm, I I know the place. I am we. <laughs> What did Jesus do? He stopped fighting. Love your enemies. Pray for them that persecute you and despitefully use you and speak all manner of evil against you. What? Yeah, they're serving his purpose. They're serving his purpose. I'll never forget, I was going through a crucifixion season of my mind dying to my idea of how I could think. You've heard me tell about that. I'm not going to belabor that. And I had the privilege to sit down, didn't feel like it then, but in hindsight it was a privilege. I had the privilege to sit down with Brother Wright after he kept my wife and I waiting for four and a half hours. True story. Supposed to meet him at four. We're sitting in a parking lot until, supposed to meet him at two. We agreed to wait until four so he could finish a meeting. Then we went to the parking lot where we were going to meet him in a room, and he left us there until a little after eight. I had to drive back home from the west side. I was not dying very well in my vehicle. We walk in. My wife abandons the three of us to go to the restroom conveniently. Brother Wright says to me, Brother Hart, how you doing? I made this statement. He knew I was going through some stuff. I made this statement. I said, well, I'm alive, brother, right? And he said, that's your problem. Thank you for your sympathy. 
honest to goodness, that's exactly what he said. He said, that's your problem. You're not dead yet. That was not what I wanted to hear. I wanted him to hear my story and, and console me and sort of help me along and give me words of wisdom of how to navigate what I was dealing with and facing and help me understand the people that were causing me all these problems and, and what I needed. And his response was, that's your problem. You're not dead yet. And then we sat down and he spent three and a half hours telling me how dead I wasn't. <laughs> Asked my wife, I'm not making that up. Three and a half hours of telling me how I needed to die and how to die and the problem with not being dead. And he was not as kind and gentle as the Holy Ghost is here tonight. But he was in the Holy Ghost. Precious people of God. We must go the way of the cross. We must go the way of the cross. Hebrews 12 said that he endured the cross. Because there was joy that was set before him. For the joy that was set before him. Hebrews 12 and 2 or 3. For the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross. See there's something on the other side of dying. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. That's what Peter called it. He endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus, keep me near the cross. Jesus, where you're trying to bring the wisdom and the power of God into my life, I've prayed for those things. I've prayed for the power of God to work through me. I've prayed for the wisdom of God to operate in my life. Father, let us not be enemies of the cross, but let us lay hold on the cross. In the name of Jesus, come on, talk to him. Talk to him. He's beckoning and inviting you. He's inviting me. He's giving you answers. This altar's open to you. Jesus, keep me near the cross. Jesus, forgive me where I've been an enemy of the cross. I humble myself before you by your grace and submit to your calling. I submit to the beckoning of your spirit. I know that there's joy on the other side of it. And you desire to manifest your life through us. What a privilege and an honor. 
God, show me where I'm resisting the cross. By your grace, I'll stop resisting. And by your example, I'll lay my life down. Jesus, let the cross work in us. Let us say with the Apostle Paul, we're always bearing about in our body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Christ would be made manifest, that the life of Christ would be revealed to the world, that our lives would give witness to the power of your resurrection in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Jesus.